0: Then we'll have our video from Brother Pauly tonight, and then our time of prayer together. Uh, again, we're doing this format for the next probably two or three more uh, Wednesday nights, and um, asking for the Lord to do something in our hearts in the area of revival, and, um, and perhaps getting us to a place where, uh, as uh, I think it was G. Campbell Morgan that said, Uh, that all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon it. And I want to be in that condition. I want to be ready for revival. I was listening to uh, another preacher uh, this week on the subject of revival. And he made the statement that he said many times the hindrances of revival is that we've not made preparation for it. And uh, we oftentimes are not prepared for it. If it came, it would catch us off guard. And uh, I want to be in such a spirit. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm not only uh, ready for the revival of my heart, but I'm expecting it. I'm wanting God to do it in my heart. And uh, I hope that that will be the case. Uh, look with me in verse number 9. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or suitable uh, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And Paul gives here a list of things that we ought to be striving for. And this is how we accomplish it. As we get to verse number 14, he says, "...in whom..." So after all of these things that he talks about, he says you've got to keep your eyes upon the person that can accomplish this in your life. It's not about us putting on outwardly some things. We mentioned before, (coughs) I think suddenly I made the comment of a lot of times we, we live a polished Christian life outwardly. Uh, people that we associate with look at us and they think, well, we have it all together. Uh, the truth is, we're all just sinners saved by the grace of God. And, and the truth is, we sometimes put the emphasis of our efforts on our externals. And we neglect sometimes the heart of the issue. And so he says in verse 14, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers." Notice this. "...all things were created by Him and what, and for Him." He is it. I mean, God is all that we are to look to. This church is in existence so that we can lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can have our hearts drawn to Him and that we can help other people draw their hearts to Him. But it is not about me and it is not about you. If you come to this church because of this pastor, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you come to this church, and I love the fellowship we have here, I love the sweet spirit we have here, if you come here for that reason, you're here for the wrong reason. We're here to be lifted up to the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, first and foremost. And when that takes place, then we are to help others be lifted up to Him. Now notice what it says here. He says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is, I love this, before all things. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell young people, uh, make sure that when you make out your list of things in life, that God is at the very top of your list. And I was wrong. That was not the right way to preach. Instead, we were supposed to come to God with a blank sheet of paper and said, God, not only do I want you at the top of my list, I want you to be involved in every aspect of my list. I want you to write it out for me. Why? Because I want you to be before all things in my life. Now, do I succeed in that? No. But that ought to be the heart's desire of every single one of us sitting here tonight. That in every area of our life, every area of our life, that we put Him before all things. There were three men that said, Lord, we will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. And their problem was not an unwillingness to follow God. As many times, our our problem is not an unwillingness to follow God. Their problem was an unwillingness to follow Him first. To make Him the top priority. And I've preached on that passage before. And the truth of the matter is, and I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I have. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of us have gotten to a place where we sit in a service and we see a truth like that? We see a truth like, boy, it's not an unwillingness to follow God. It's just an unwillingness to follow Him first. To give Him the preeminence. To make Him the top of everything. He's before all things in my life. And we see that truth, and we have it here, and we even have it here, and we walk out those doors, and we make no change. Ever been there? I have. Don't raise your hand. I have. I'll raise my hand. The sad fact of the matter is it hinders God. Paul says this in verse number 18, And He is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things... He might have the preeminence. Why do I come to Keith the Heist Baptist Church? Well, Brother Greg, I love the fellowship. Love the people. Not a good enough reason. Well, that pastor, he's athletic. and I mean, he's sharp looking. He's got great personality. No, no, no. Wrong. <laughs> Not only are you lying, that's a wrong reason. That's on top of it. Well, I like the preacher. I like... I like the preaching. It fits me. It helps me to be excited. Wait a minute. If we're looking at the message and we're looking at the messenger, but we're not looking at Christ, then something's wrong. It's possible to do God's work, God's way, with His man, but without His power and still be wrong. Because we do not look to Christ to have the preeminence. I'm convinced that we're going to watch a video on what hinders revival. And really it can boil down to one thing, and that's Christ doesn't have the preeminence in my life. My heart is is tainted by other things. And it's amazing how easily spots from the world begin to clutter up our lives. Without even knowing it sometimes it happens. There was a young lady years ago that was the daughter of a man who owned a coal mine. One day, he and his daughter went out to visit the coal mine. They took a tour of the grounds, and she came in a very beautiful white dress. And uh, she asked the foreman, "She said, I want to go down into the mine. I want to see what's down there." And he said, "Well, ma'am, if you're going to do that, you might want to change clothes." And she said, "No, I, I like this dress. I wore this dress." And she said, "You can't do anything to stop me. I'm the owner's daughter." You can't do anything to stop me from coming down there with a white dress. He said, No, ma'am, you're right, but I can guarantee you, you won't come out of there with a white dress. The truth of the matter is, we try to live in such a way that we want to have a white or a clean life and testimony. But we live in the world, and oftentimes, without even realizing it, we let the world spots begin to accumulate. And God doesn't have the preeminence anymore. I I love the fellowship that we have here. I really do. I was talking to somebody just the other week. It's possible. And and this is what happens. When people begin to to have a stirring of God in their hearts, they walk probably closer to the Lord than they have in a long time. And they're around a group of people who are the same way. Their spirits begin to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. We begin to walk in the Spirit then the fellowship becomes very, very sweet. And that's the fruit of something that's happened in the inner man. Where we lose it somewhere along the way is that the fruit becomes the main thing. And we stop doing what got us there in the first place. Does Christ have the preeminence? Is the first in my life, in every area. My heart's desire as a pastor at Keith Ice Baptist Church is not to preach the greatest sermon you ever heard. I really couldn't care less any, anything about that. But if I can point our people to love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, I feel like I will have succeeded as a pastor. I feel like I could stand before God one day and say, Lord, I did everything I could to point people to You. And help you uh, be uplifted in their hearts. And, and folks, if we're here for any other reason than that, then we're here for a wrong reason. Christ is to be preeminent. He's the head of the church. That in all things, not just a few, He might have the preeminence. Um, I want to mention just a couple things. I Man, the ladies last week, they did about had revival, I think, down there in the little room praying, and uh, I'm thankful for that. I don't know if y'all are doing that again tonight or not, but uh, I think there's a great thing in public praying like that together as a group. I think there's some things that you can gain from that. But let me encourage you in one thing. Don't let that be the substitute for your private prayer closet. One of the things that I know in praying, uh, when we're alone with the Lord, we are more prone to confess the things we need to confess, to get right with Him, the things that we need to get right with that He shows us in our hearts, than we are around a group of people. Have you ever noticed that? We we don't we don't air all of our dirty laundry in front of other folks. And I love the fact that our our ladies came out of that meeting last week excited, um, and revived. I think there were some elements of revival, some sparks there. Uh, but let me encourage you in this. Don't let it be the substitute for your private praying. Make that the primary thing. And then let the, let the public praying be the fruit of that private time. And that's, I think that's part of what helps that, that public time to be so sweet. I really do, is when you spend that time privately. And uh, we may do that with the men here in an, another week here. Probably next Wednesday we'll probably pray together as a group as well. And uh, just to have the the opportunity to hear one another's hearts in prayer. Um, And looking forward to doing that. But I want to encourage us in that. Uh, I think sometimes uh, we can... You ever notice we can become something outwardly uh, in front of people sometimes that we're not always inwardly? And I, I don't want that to ever be a danger in public praying. I want to make sure that when we come to the Lord in prayer publicly, that the time has been spent in our prayer closets, on our knees... And I think this. I tell you this. I think this would be a great thing. I think when we know there's a prayer meeting coming up in our church, that the day of we spend some time alone with God and say, Lord, I want to get rid of all these things now and go ahead and get this my heart prepared for the praying time, and pray before we pray, and have our hearts ready. And so I want to challenge us in that and encourage us in that. And uh, Jonathan, are we back there, bud? Are we all set to do the video? Okay, all right, this is going to be Brother Paulie, and uh, again, if it'll be a help to you, we'll be glad to give you the link afterwards. Go ahead.
1: Brother Scott, I read for the first time this year a book called Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. It's a classic. Um, it got me thinking about the hindrances yes. to revival. Um, and so I, I want to ask you two questions. Um, what do you think are the greatest hindrances to revival? But then also since we mentioned that book, what are some other sources, resources um, that are great when studying revival and learning more about revival? Well, <laughs> you asked the question, what's what's the greatest hindrance to revival? We are. You know, that's the short answer, right? Like, we're in God's way. And if we were ourselves out of God's way, we'd see what the Lord wants to Um, More specifically, I think when you study Scripture, um, there are many things that can hold back the blessing. But there are three God's really dealt with me about. So let me just share those with you. One is unconfessed, unforsaken sin. And it may be secret sin. It may be besetting sins. And, you know, frankly, sometimes people say, well, you know, preacher, that's just the way I am. That's just... We all have our thing, and that's mine. Well, that's, that's no excuse. Could it be the thing we're holding on to is the one reason that we can't be full of the Lord? We're already full of something else. And what, what did the prophet say? Your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. Uh, my favorite revival hymn is Charles Tindley's hymn, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior. Now, that's not the number one hymn I hear. The number one hymn I hear in revival meetings is Revive Us Again. But my favorite is nothing between. Because if we could ever get there, nothing between me and the Lord, then I think we'd have liberty to pray and we'd see liberty in receiving what God has for us. So number one is, is unconfessed sin. The second uh, is pride. And I, I alluded to this a moment ago in our discussion, but um, God comes near when we get low. And I think we have not gotten low enough. I think we have learned a professional way to have church and spit shine and polished Christianity. And I think it has worked against us. And so, and when I say pride, I'm not, I'm not thinking of somebody else's pride. I'm thinking of my own. And I think we all have to start examining our own hearts. How much I is in this, how much self is in this. And, um, It's like F.B. Meyer, who's somebody I would recommend people read if you want to read A great deal of devotional things that helps in the subject of Revival. Read F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer said, I thought that God's blessings were like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one above another so that the higher I went in my knowledge of God, the more I could attain to it. As an old man, he said I was wrong. He said God's blessings are like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one below another so that the lower you go, the more access you have to God. I mean, look, the most arrogant people on earth are the people that win Bible trivia every time they play. Now, why is that? And I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, of course. We should know God's Word. But what did Paul say? Knowledge puffeth up. So you can know all about the Lord. You can know all about the Scriptures. That's part of our problem. we got churches full of people who say, I've heard that before. Oh I yeah, mean, I, I know that chapter. And we've heard this. Well, that's not the point. There has to be a childlike simplicity and humility if we're going to see God work again. And then the third thing uh, I believe is unbelief. That's something God's really dealt with me about. It goes back to your question about can we have revival. There are churches filled with unbelieving believers. Now, they're believers. You ask them, are you a believer? Oh, yes, preacher, I'm a believer. I got saved 40 years ago. Wonderful. Are you walking in faith today? The just shall live by his faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Uh, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's always through faith that every good thing comes. And I'm convinced that part of the reason we've not had revival, I don't know that people really believe we're going to. And that God is able. And every time I think about that, I think about the Lord Jesus, what happened to him in Capernaum, his own ministry headquarters. You talk about a city with an opportunity. I mean, you want an evangelist? Jesus lives there and preaches there. And the Bible says he could there do no mighty works. Oh, he healed a few sick folks. But he could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. That's convicting. So could it be that we have failed to believe God for what God has for us? I'll tell you what scares me is to think someday we could get to the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord say, Scott, I want you to look over here see all this. These were all the answers to prayer I had, that you, you never asked me for them. And these were all the blessings I had for you, but you wouldn't believe me. And so I'm convinced we've got to examine our own hearts, deal with our sin, deal with our pride, deal with our unbelief. And, you know, one of the temptations, especially in the world we're living in right now, that is increasingly secularized is we want to talk about all the unbelievers out there. You know, let's get all of them right with God. That's really what most people think revival is. It's everybody else getting right with God. You know, What's the old spiritual, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the. No, it's not all the other unbelievers. It's me, Lord. And um, resources, revival resources. I wrote a little, a, a little cheer during the pandemic. And, and I know it was in the Providence of God. It's on Ezra's revival prayer in Ezra 9. And the book is called Revival Praying. In the back of it, I list my favorite revival resources. Um, one of them is the book you mo- mentioned a moment ago. Anything by Leonard Ravenhill. Ravenhill spoke like a prophet. I mean by that, not that he foretold you know, un- untold events in the future. But I mean he had a boldness about it had a way of speaking that he knew God. He was a man of prayer. And when he spoke, especially on the subject of revival, man, it it always went to the heart. So Ravenhill is someone I enjoy reading after. Stephen Olford, I mentioned, uh, is someone I've enjoyed reading after. Um, And and there are a number of of newer writers. I especially love reading those men who lived during seasons of revival. And so that's why I mentioned F.B. Meyer. Uh, those were men who saw something. They witnessed something. And I'd like to know what they have to say and what God taught them through that. So I would recommend people, read some of the old writers. I know it's not the glossiest book in the bookstore, and it's not the New York Times bestseller. It's not trending right now. But some of those old men, they knew God.